Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, it's Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 464 of the podcast. It's November 30th, 2022. Joining us today is Katie Anderson. I, I could be wrong, but I believe this is her sixth time here on the podcast. Today, we are talking about the recent AME annual conference that was held in Dallas. Uh, we both heard Larry Culp, the CEO of GE and of GE Aviation. He, he talked for 15 minutes and, and we'll share some highlights and thoughts about what he said on stage. But then we'll also talk about highlights and, and reflections from the fireside chat that Katie had uh, with Larry on stage um, there at AME. So, you know, uh, Larry Culp, formerly the CEO at Danaher, um, Danaher being probably um, considered by many to be the greatest uh, American lean success story. Because as, as Larry talks about, it's not just about lean manufacturing. This is about leadership. Larry says this is how we manage. He talked about how he doesn't know any other way to lead. And, and that's what he's brought into General Electric in what's now been four years as CEO. So hope you enjoy the conversation here. Um, hopefully, for those of you who attended AME uh, virtually, hopefully um, the video of Larry's talk and the fireside will be uh, available online. Um, I think they're still working on that, but um, hope you enjoy at least our maybe next best. If you, if you couldn't hear it directly is Katie and I kind of recapping um, what we heard, what we learned, um, what we thought. And so here's the episode. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. We're joined again today, returning guest, uh, Katie Anderson. Katie, how are you? I'm great, Mark. Always fun to be back here talking with you, and especially since we've recently seen each other in person. That was great. We were, and that's what we're talking about today. We're going to share some reflections and stories and, and insights from the recent AME annual conference that was held in, in Dallas in late October, the Association for Manufacturing Excellent. So yeah, it was great to see you and, and so many other people. A lot of former podcast guests uh, were, were there and it was great to reconnect them or meet them in person for the same time, actually, because of, you know, pandemic Zoom land that we've been in. I'm sure it's the same for you. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I've, you and I have known each other for years. I mean, over a decade at this point, but great to meet some people who are new to my world in the last three years who I've actually gotten really close and connected with and uh, just a really vibrant week of being in person with people. So it was, it was great. It was. And so the, you know, the main thing that we're going to talk about and, and, and reflect on and, and share some ideas was based on, I, I thought this was an amazing opportunity. Uh, the final keynote speaker uh, was Larry Culp, the CEO of GE. He's been CEO now for four years. He had been CEO previously at Danaher, great lean and business success story that that was. So Larry gave about 15 minutes of remarks, and then Katie had an opportunity to moderate Q&A with yeah. Larry. Tell, tell us a little bit about how that was. Yeah, it was super exciting. So this, this came to be that Larry had read my book over the summer, and we can talk about how that emerged. I actually hadn't heard the story of how that had happened until we were on stage together. And uh, I knew he was going to be the keynote speaker closing the event. And two weeks before the event, they asked, you know, would I help moderate a fireside chat with him? He wanted to do a shorter 
uh, a keynote and then have some discussion. And of course I said, yes. <laughs> and, and that was that. So it was really exciting to have a chance to not only meet him, but really dive into a discussion with him about a leader who is truly leading the way with lean thinking and practice Yeah, at an executive level. Yeah. 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 And I, I was really excited to hear him speak for the first time. You know, I've, I've, I've read, like, you know, it's funny, Danaher is a very uh, private company. And in recent years, there's been a couple articles, like one from the Wall Street Journal that did actually take a pretty good dive into what Larry is trying to do as he frames it, his words, a lean transformation yeah. at GE. And so, you know, I guess I would say I've been a fan for, you know, <laughs> it was good to actually hear more from him um, in person. He had a lot of great things to say. Absolutely. And there were, in, in preparation for the discussion, I'd listened to two podcasts that he'd been on in the last two years, and I was super excited after hearing him speak and on these podcasts. So excited now to dive into our reflections of of the session as well. And then, um, as it as it turned out, um, you know, Larry's session kind of followed oh, yeah. um, different and, opportunity. I had to help moderate some things. Uh, absolutely. So it was. I, I think it was a really in, nice setup um, of the day on that last uh, day of the AME conference. So Mark was moderating a conversation with DeAndre Wardell and Amy Gowder, who also is an exec at GE and also has a special connection to Mark. Uh, Mark, how do you know Amy? And, 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 well, I, uh, Amy and I just had our 21st wedding anniversary, <laughs> right? Yeah. After AME, and as you mentioned, Amy Gowder, she goes by her maiden name professionally. Um, we we decided it, it, there was really no need to disclose that on stage. You know, um, it's funny they had formed the panel. It was going to be you know Amy Deandra, who's been a guest on the podcast and become a dear friend of of mine and ours, and then a third panelist, Sarah Boisvert, who was a guest on the podcast before. She ended up not being able to make it because of some positive things happening with the nonprofit she's involved in. So it became Amy and Deandra. And it's funny, they had formed the panel and then AME had approached me. So if anything, I got the gig, you know, I I don't know if it was because of Amy, but she she wasn't on the panel because of me in terms of like that conflict of interest, the um, kind of, kind of disclosure. Um, But there was that opportunity to, to, to ask them questions as, as leaders and you know, to, to hear what they had to say, the theme of the conference was about embracing disruption. So we were really talking about different dimensions of cultural yes. disruption. And it was really, it was uh, fun to be able to explore that with them. So I, it's funny, like I'm in, I'm in the fog of like trying to moderate and keep things going yeah. and I don't have notes to go off of. I need to go back and yeah. listen to the recording, but you had some notes, thankfully, Katie. I do. Um, and I was tweeting during the day too, uh, with some great things that had come out of it. And, you know, some of the key themes about what what both Amy and DeAndre were focusing on was our sense of humanity and being human beings as leaders and showing that you care and that it's about both as a leader. And Amy talked about this, like being clear on where we need to go, but then really showing that you care and support people as well. And DeAndre made this great comment that, you know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I thought that was that was pretty powerful as well. And I loved hearing then, so Amy's perspective as a senior leader at GE and how that was really connected and how she's showing up as a leader of 
going out to sea, going to Gamba, making sure that she's checking on both process and on people, and then connected with what Larry Culp also said on stage about how his perspective on leadership and how he really wants his leadership team, of which Amy's a part of, to be spreading and connecting uh, these leadership principles in service of achieving the business outcomes they need. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Amy has worked, reported to Larry for six months. You know, she's new to GE aviation or it's it's becoming GE aerospace. Mm. So she originally got the invitation to be part of the panel when she was in a different role with a different company. So then as it worked out, okay, well, we ended up with two GE executives, you know, Amy running a business unit and then Larry running Mm. for, you know, CEO of GE, but then he's also recently become uh, GE Aerospace CEO as GE yes. prepares to spin off the other two businesses. Larry mm. is, you know, clearly staying mm. um, with aerospace. So um, you, you, I, you're right. You could hear in those comments where you know she's she's been um, you know influenced by him in in that short time, even. Yeah, and you know it was it was great to hear two senior leaders as well talk about this because a lot of times at uh, these types of conferences we have a lot of mid-level to senior mid-level leaders and continuous improvement leaders um, trying to really lead the change. Um, But to hear from two of like the top executives and companies talking about how they see this style of leadership as being the, like the way to actually achieve what they need for their business was really powerful. And actually before I went on stage with Larry, he made the same comment to me about how more senior executives in the like the C-suite really need to hear these messages and to not just sort of keep delegating all of this down in the organization without really taking it on for themselves as well. And that message came through uh, in the best in what he said as well when we were on stage together. Yeah. So it's it's quite possible the next generation of lean CEOs are being developed at GE these days yes. under Larry. And um, it's going to be really interesting to see. You know, how how that evolves. I was also going to give a shout out to another CEO speaker the day before, uh, Gary Michelle, who we 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 had a chance to talk. He's he's agreed to come on the podcast at some point because he was also sharing a very consistent message about it's not just about the financials and the business results, but humanizing. Mm. I don't think that lean needs humanized, but there's always that risk of it being um, dehumanized. Of, of just focusing on process, numbers, data, results. Yes. You know, Gary started his keynote by showing a picture and telling a story about a frontline team member. Yes. Like, a lot of CEOs don't do that. They want to talk no. about themselves. And you know, I think neither Gary or Larry were at all making it about them, which I also couldn't help noticing and admiring. Yes. So the, the level of humility and generosity that came forward um, and how they talked was really, really incredible. And, you know, just the generosity of sharing the time and the energy and, and, and the reflections and sharing, you know, some of the challenges as well that they've had personally and the learning, the learning curve they've had to do something different and in a different way. And I, and I really reflect too, you know, this concept of Go show you care and be human is such a message that comes out um, in all my conversations with Toyota leader Asao Yoshino in my book, Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn. It's the secret is about learning and learning is about caring about people and helping, you know, them also be part of the solution and the learning process. Yeah. 
And, and the speaking of generosity, I'll bring it back to your book again, learning to lead, leading to learn. See, I said it correctly that time. You did? I always stumble, I I always stumble but learning to lead, leading to learn, not to get cocky about that. As soon as I get cocky about it, I'm going <laughs> to get tripped up again. Right. But Larry, Larry was very generous in his mm. praise for the book. And, you know, as you'd mentioned, he had heard, um, or at least st- heard part of uh, your appearance on an internal GE podcast. And I know that's now available for people to listen to on your website and we'll link to it in the notes. But he he said something like, you know, the, those were the two best sentences about hosting yeah. Henry. What was the exact word he used? So I, I was just actually looking through the transcript of the, the sessions. I hadn't had much time to kind of reflect. So this was a good prompt for me to do some reflection too. And he said it was the two most coherent sentences on Hoshin Conry that he'd ever heard. So I need to go back to that podcast and actually try and find those <laughs> really say? coherent sentences that I said. Uh, so it was this internal GE podcast, which now I have available on my um, website. So that's great if you can link to that. And I love the podcast name. If you're a lean aficionado, it's called And On That Note. So play on words of and, and On being the cord you pull yeah. when you have a problem but also and on. Um, and I hadn't heard that story. And so what Larry's was started to tell me before we went up on stage and he's like, oh no, I'm going to save it. And I'm going to tell that story when we're on stage together. So it turned out he had heard the podcast and then uh, it was right before he went on summer vacation. And so he asked his team to get my book and he put it in his beach bag and read it on vacation. And I actually, it was I think it was in September, I got a bunch of pings from people working at GE saying, Larry just sent out an all hands email saying he <laughs> yeah. came back from vacation and read your book and highly recommended it. And the podcast that you had for all GE employees to really understand what lean is all about. And so, I mean, I was thrilled at that and then to be invited to have the conversation with him. And then when he put a big slide on the, during his keynote with my book yes. and, uh, you know, good to great and a few other like I, I was, seminal Leadership books was amazing. I, I was just pulling up the picture. Um, yeah, Good to Great, The Machine That Changed the World, uh, a book by basketball coach Dean Smith, The Carolina Way, Top Grading, which I'm not real familiar with, and then uh, a book, uh, Principles by Ray Dalio. And, and there's a stack of your books in the picture. Yeah. I mean, I'll share yeah. that picture in the show notes was, for the episode. Like, oh, so yeah, that was, I mean, that was pretty um, pretty amazing. And you, 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 know, you, I, need to do, you, you should do a second edition and, and of yeah. the book and get a word oh, yeah. from Larry. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that will, that will, <laughs> that at some point will be forthcoming. Uh, you know, I was, I didn't want to spend the whole, you know, I only wanted to ask him one question about my book because it wasn't about me on, on the stage. I also really appreciated him saying that, you know, this was my intention as a writer, that it was a very accessible book to read and to understand how lean applies, not just in manufacturing, but across all different areas, and that it's really a leadership journey. And that was why I wanted to show Mr. Yoshino's journey of truly learning to lead and leading to learn, because we all have to make changes for ourselves to become a more effective leader and a coach to create learning in our organizations. And, you know, it, a lean transformation is truly about an individual transformation or an individual growth and then collectively how we kind of pull that together. And that's the you know, culmination is the culture. Yeah. And so we, we'll, we can dive more into that. And as you mentioned, Larry said these uh, exact words that at GE lean is not just manufacturing. 
And so I think, you know, the first thing we're going to dive into a little bit here was his comment, thinking first back to Danaher. Mm-hmm. And now under his um, leadership at GE, he used the phrase, this is how we manage. Mm. And that's a different way of articulating this than talking about, well, we're doing all these tools and we're doing this many events. He's really emphasizing um, culture and the way leaders are, are leading. I'm, I'm, yes. I'm curious to hear what some of your takeaways were on that. Absolutely. I mean, he, he talked about the power of like a Kaizen event. And he, he talked about different tools, but again, it's not about the tools. It's about how we're using the tools. So leadership, behavior, mindset, and actions. And, you know, he also said, you know, looking, looking at this too, that you, you can't, you need leaders to really walk the walk. And these are some quotes from him and that the senior team really has to be bought into this. So this is not something you can delegate and that's something he specifically said. So and this is, I would say, leaders at all levels. It's not that just the executive can't delegate it. The executive cannot delegate it if it's going to be successful, but we all have to be um, applying applying this. And, you know, one of the first things he said, and this is, I think, really critical, and it just gets back to your podcast, of which we are both um, holding up some uh, tea mugs for my, my favorite mistake. mistake, but with this concept of... Um, of bad news and bad news first and being and making it acceptable to have problems and bad news as a key management mindset and then how you respond to that as the action. And he said, you know, bad news in most organizations typically does not travel fast. And then later he went on to say, and in his experience, when it doesn't travel, it can be fatal. And so if we have this culture where we are, don't even look at problems, then, you know, we aren't really going to be able to solve the problems. And so one of the biggest leadership shifts that has to be welcoming and embracing bad news first. Yeah. So I, I liked how he emphasized that um, the moments of truth, as he put it, how do leaders deal with bad news? You know, he said, I want to hear bad news. I want to hear it fast. And, you know, he talked about moments of truth of having to prove himself People at GE of saying, well, in the past, people had been, um, you know, the, they were shooting the messenger, mm-hmm. and that Larry had to prove to them that he could react constructively to mm-hmm. quote unquote bad news to help. You know, I, you could use the phrase psychological safety to make it safe mm-hmm. for people to report the truth, bad news, or all, and, and to react in a way that's constructive of asking questions and seeking to understand instead of uh, yelling and screaming or blaming. Right. I mean, this goes back to the same story that Mr. Yoshino shared on the first time we were guests on your podcast, My Favorite Mistake, about the now famous paint mistake that he made and how his, when 100 cars at Toyota had to be repainted, instead, not they, not only did they not yell at him or blame him, they looked at the process and then collectively looked at how they could make a better improvement for the future and actually thanked him because it was an op, that bad news was an opportunity to see improvement. And so how do we, it, you know, all of us, I mean, I think at the human level, hold ourselves back. I mean, I think of myself as a parent sometimes too, hold ourselves back from like, oh, but looking at the process and how do we make improvements on that? And that fosters learning, yes, improvement and innovation. Yeah. And, you know, I, mean, I want to come back to the, a little bit more about the, how they manage, but another thing I had in my notes and thank you for asking him, you know, that question about learning from mistakes, you know, Larry said, um, 
you need to acknowledge mistakes and you need to own the mistakes and then you need to get better. Like that's the spirit of the My Favorite Mistake podcast and 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 the book I'm writing around all that. And I'll hold up. Thank you for the Daruma. I'm using one of uh, Katie's Daruma with the, the one I filled in. Yes. Great. The book is still very much a work in, in, in progress. But, you know, I, I, I you know, I appreciate that you that you asked him about that. And I think mm. hearing a leader and, and and not just hearing them say it, like back to how they manage, Larry emphasized, you can't just talk the talk. You've got to mm. follow through with the right actions mm. and demonstrating the people that I'm not going to shoot you uh, for bringing me bad news. That flows downhill in a very positive way where the opposite gets really dysfunctional really quickly. We've heard stories from all sorts of corporations. Um, Ford Motor Company, when Alan Mulally came in, the famous story about like, yeah, well, how are all the status of everything? Uh, how can the status of everything be green when we're literally in the red losing money? Because people yeah. were afraid to report the truth. And he had to change that culture there at Ford. Yeah, right. It's like, it, it's where Larry started off the conversation. And it really is, you know, it is the psychological safety is what we, how we talk about it now, but that is fundamental to being able to be successful and to move beyond the tools, but to this really being the way that we manage and that we grow, improve and achieve the important business goals that are, you know, each organization needs to do to, you know, to survive and thrive. Yeah. And so Larry had learned this way of, of leading. And, you know, he, he was relaying, I'm paraphrasing, but a story of when he came into GE, somebody had asked, well, are you going to lead the, the Dana, her business system way? And he's not going to call it Dana, her business system yeah. at GE, of course, but he said something to the effect of, well, you know, I don't know any other way. Mm. He, you know, and I thought that was an interesting reflection and, and comparing, you know, he talked about how, as you mentioned, Katie, you know, that fully committed senior team. Well, you know, Larry became CEO at Danaher in 2001, which is the same year Jack Welch retired, right? You know, Larry's path had not crossed with GE yeah. yet, but Larry had time to build that culture. And he said, you know, I'm sure by the time he left that the senior executives had all come up through that culture. Yeah. Now he's coming in to lead GE where executives have not come up through that culture. I'm sure that that creates new leadership challenges to, to recognize that situation. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, but he had, he did have to change the way he was showing up as a leader. And so he even made that comment. I asked, one of my first questions was asking about what were some personal leadership changes he needed to make. And, you know, he made the comment, well, I didn't go to Harvard Business School to learn to ask questions. You know, you learn to like get, be intuitive about giving the answer. And so he had to actually unlearn that instinct of wanting to come in and being the problem solver, being the expert with the answer and to, to um, ask better questions and to listen and to listen more uh, thoroughly and effectively as well. And he realized that that's, that was the huge leadership shift that he had to make. And so now he's quite effective at that, but I, I can imagine that there was a, a growth curve. And he even mentioned that, you know, it kind of felt awkward in the beginning and now he realizes because he's gone through that himself that it it feels awkward for the leaders who report to him or are working for him to like move from this leader who has all the answers and is supposed to be the expert to now I'm the leader who is is asking more questions, setting the challenge, but helping right. enable people. 
Yeah. And he did, Larry did comment on that, um, saying, you know, GE leaders had generally grown up through the organization, expecting to get answers from their leaders, not yeah. questions. Yeah. And, 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 and Larry went back to, I think it was his first PL role within Danaher, which he had at a pretty young age. He said something, I, I thought, I think this is a pretty direct quote, that he needed, it was humility for survival. Mm. Because he didn't know the answers, right? And, and he couldn't, as he put it, bark out commands. He had to go on um, this discovery journey, mm. as as he called it. And so it was really interesting to hear um, that reflection. And and you know, if he were here, it would be great to ask him. So that you know, the the the, the shift in his leadership style of leaving Danaher, where he feels like you know the culture is mm. there now into a place where the culture is something to build i'm sure he's had to adjust his approach it'd be interesting to think about how you would change your approach if you were yeah into making that shift yeah absolutely well and i would i i think and i imagine he's doing this is sharing the why and the purpose behind his actions and I always suggest to leaders who are starting to make this shift and it's different in their organizations when we're, as we're uh, doing what I call break the telling habit, we're making that shift from being the expert with all the answers to more of a leader as coach. Tell people what you're doing and why label it. Like say, I, I'm asking more questions because I want, I don't actually know the answer or I don't have context for this. Um, I want to hear how you're thinking about this and, and explaining the why can be so helpful for, for people. And He's been so transparent, even on stage with us, that I imagine that he is saying those things to people, explaining that context, because um, it, it helps people understand why and stop like making assumptions of why you know he has he has malintent. No, no, no. He's he's actually wanting to be helpful. Yeah, and 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 part of that why, as he articulated it on stage there, and this goes back to an acronym I learned in the auto industry. 25 plus years ago, and it sticks with me. And I think it translates well into other settings. SQDC, safety, quality, delivery, cost. Like that order is very intentional Mm -hmm. of emphasizing safety, um, emphasizing respect for the employees. Like I loved when Larry was telling a story about when the Shingajitsu Sensei, yeah, you know, they, they are doing Kaizen events um, with G, within GE. And he told a story or uh, about the the sensei leading a round of applause for the frontline workers and like a sincere mm. showing appreciation, mm. um, you know, sort sort of way. And you know, and Larry sharing how that influence is a positive one of seeing how mm. much the Shingajitsu people really deeply respect the frontline workers. Yes, they're the people who create the value who really you know, leaders are actually there in service of helping them do the work and do it better, safer. Um, yeah. You know, that, that connects to the concept we were talking about too, about going, why, why you go to Gemba as a leader, go to Gemba being the word in Japanese for the place the work happens. And I asked Larry, you know, when he goes to see, the front line or goes to see an organ one of his organizations, you know, what is he looking for and what's his purpose? And he said, you know, two things I'm going to see, you know, the, actually I wrote this down, the status of the state of the lean transformations and also the process. And then the state of leadership and, and how people are doing with these core principles. So how are they, how are they doing? And you're, so you're going at two levels to check on process and to check on people. 
And so often we just focus on that process side. We have to bring the people side into that as well. So that that goes back to what we talked about at the beginning and what Amy and Deandra were talking about too, is that sense of humanity and caring as leaders as well. So it's not just the outcome and the process, it's the, it's the people. So, I mean, we can find in a lot of different ways, maybe two sides of the same coin. Right? Mm. We, we care about results, but we're looking at process because that drives better results. Larry talked about daily mm. management. He, mm. he made some sort of comment about, well, now people are actually realizing they need to look at hourly management to better win mm. the day you know, if you will. And, and all these dynamics of like, for example, he mentioned both top down and bottom up. Mm. So for all of the, the talk about Kaizen events, you know, he also talked about daily management and engaging people in improvement. And then you know, I think part of that top down, bottom up then comes back to Hoshan Conry, mm. or strategy deployment. And he, he, he talked about, you know, operationalizing Hoshan Conry. Like what, what what were some of your notes or reflections about the way he talked about that? Right. So, you know, he talked a lot about Hoshin and Hoshin's sort of strategy deployment and how important it is. And I and I had talked to him a little bit as well before we had the conversation on stage that, you know, one of the challenges and what was appealing to him about the concept of Hoshin is really how do you break down silos? And the cross-functional management of a large, complex organization, of course, you're going to have so many different functions, but you have different products, services, delivery. And so on stage, when we talked about this, he said, you know, Hoshin Conry is also a way when you operationalize it. And by operationalize it, I my sense is from how we talked about it, it's like, how do you put it into practice? So it's not just this concept or this, you know, he, he says they use the X matrix as a tool at... GE, but like, how does that not just become something that's slapped up on the wall? But how do you use it to break down silos through conversation, through shared alignment on priorities, and so much more? Um, but it's really about the conversations, right? So it's not just going through the motions, but how do we stay in alignment and talking across the system? And, and I think that came through also in a couple different ways. One, you know, back to this word operationalize. He also used the phrase that Hush and Connery helps you operationalize your ambition, right? Mm. So it's one thing to have goals or ambitions or, you know, instead of just demanding breakthrough improvements to randomly pop up, you can be kind of systematic through an X matrix or other methods of figuring out what, what do we need to accomplish? What gaps are we choosing to focus on? What yeah. initiatives are we connecting you know, X just makes my my head spin like quite literally as you're turning your head and it's probably better to turn the paper than to turn your yeah, head. Yes. But um, you know, like operationalizing, not just deploying goals, but having those conversations and those cycles of, you know, and I think this is a really powerful um message where it's not about just having the goal and executing the plan, but you talk about these cycles of, of discussion or catch ball, whatever you might call it, of um, you know, you talk about, well, sometimes we overestimate what we could accomplish and sometimes we underestimate and, and, yep. and you adjust. It's not a huge mistake. It's an opportunity to adjust, right? Well, right. It absolutely. And, you know, I, one of my favorite phrases from Mr. Yoshino and is you have to have seemingly impossible targets. So that's the challenge, right? You know, we talk about this in the healthcare space. Like the challenge should be like, zero errors, zero defects. I mean, we may not know how to get there, but like it's seemingly impossible, but we need to move towards that. And so Potion can help if you're doing it right, 
and we're like failing along the way or having some successes, then we can learn, accelerate or adjust um, throughout there. And, you know, I, I'm guessing too, that some of what he, when he talked about enjoying Hosh and Connery in, in, in my book, it's really talking about those fundamentals and, and also how Toyota learned that it was about leaders' behaviors in doing Hoshin, about having discussions across different functions, about really understanding the top priority, and also then how they were going to help their teams achieve it. And so my sense is from all that Larry is talking about, that's what he's trying to create at, at GE as well. And when when he was talking about all of that, he made me think, of a CEO now of a previous generation, uh, Paul O'Neill, when Mm. he was CEO at Alcoa, because he set what some might call the big, hairy, audacious goal of, you know, zero harm, that nobody who comes to work at Alcoa should ever be hurt at work. And then that evolved to, you should actually go home healthier than (laughs) you arrived, right? So there's that goal but it's it's not a slogan or cheerleading. Then you, you've got to do the work. You've got to yeah. lead the effort to help people become better problem solvers and and you know to to make significant progress. And it, it seems like that same thing you know exists there. It's not just um, you know, I'm sure Mr. Yoshino would, would 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 agree if he were on the line with this. It's not just about the goal, but then what mm. do you do to work toward it? Like what other detail would you fill in about that? Well, right. And also, how do you have a structure to check and adjust? So, you know, you you can't just set, like do something on the annual cycle or just check on the process. But how are you having those routine discussions, conversations, reflections? And as we know, the learning happens in the reflection uh, and and in the adjustment as well. And it's OK. And, and having, you know, this goes back to what we talked about. Bad news first. It's OK. That if we're off track of achieving our goal, all right. So what are we going? What are we going to do? What are we going to do on that? Yeah, yeah. It's one it's, of the things. Go ahead. I was just saying one 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 quick point on that. It, you know, we talk about not just doing the rote check, like did you implement this or not? I, I forget if Larry was talking about back at Danaher or if this was at GE. But I, in my notes, he said something about somebody says like we've done seventeen kaizen events. Mm. And he said something effective like, okay, well, which one of those had impact, right? It's not, it's not about, it's not just about doing the things. Yes. But what are, what what are we achieving compared to our prediction? And then how how do we adjust if we're not getting the impact that we wanted? Right. And and I made this comment at the end of the discussion with Larry too, is we don't, you didn't do lean just to do lean. You're actually, it's in service of achieving important business outcomes, or if you're, you know, showing up this way as some, whatever you, you, you're to achieve some important challenges. And then how are you going to get there? And so it's, it's connected to both the outcome that you need and the process by which you're going to get there. And that includes the learning process as well. So you have to, you have to build that, that learning process in for sure. And then, you know, we're looking at results and again, just picking from the notes here Mm. of how Larry emphasized the workforce and culture and, you know, the connection of, you know, these, these shop floor Kaizen events. One element of culture he touched on, I thought was interesting. He said, um, it's telling how executives react to the invitation to come to a shop floor. Oh, Kaizen yeah. event. <laughs> I'm sure he's evaluating and thinking, hmm, mm. they don't seem very interested in this, or they're making excuses of why they can't do it. 
And so he said, you know, culturally, well, you know, why send an executive to a week-long Kaizen event? He said, it, it's the best, in his opinion, I think he said, it's the best way to internalize these lean principles, not just hearing about them, but doing things. But then he talked about the culture impact on the workforce of uh, one, one of the union representatives, uh, he used the word raving, that they were raving about the effect on culture, like in a positive way. Like in my GM days, if you use the word raving, they were raving mad about yeah, something. Yeah. And, and I'm not blaming the union for being mad. GM management did a lot of stupid things back then. But like the positive effect on, on, on the culture, mm. in addition to business results, it's two, uh, It's back to two sides of the same coin again. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think about my early learnings uh, as a lean practitioner back when I was working in hospitals and healthcare systems exclusively as an internal lean consultant and like the power of a Kaizen event, that week-long Kaizen event, it's it's magical. And to go through that experience, not just by being the leader that's coming in and hearing the report out, but by going through that journey is so transformative and the energy it creates is so powerful. And so it was really exciting to hear Larry talk about how he believes in that as an important part of a leader's learning journey of not just achieving the business outcomes, but about their own understanding of what this is like. And he even said, you don't know what a Wednesday night, I think it was the Wednesday night, you know, of a Kaizen events, like until you've gone through it, yeah, where you're like, oh my God, I don't know how we're going to do this. It's not possible. And then you get to Friday and it's like amazing. So, I mean, that's what actually sparked my absolute passion for this type of approach to leadership, the continuous improvement, to operational excellence is because it, it's just, it is magical. Um, you know, I was looking through my notes too, when we were talking here and, you know, I, I there's something that stands out to me is his comment that you have to go slow to go fast. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so like the, in, I reflect on the, how this sort of pervasive impatience that most leaders and organizations have, and they want it to happen now. And it's hard because we do need business outcomes now, but the, the time it takes to really make changes to behavior and to culture does take a long time is you have to go slow to go fast. And um, I think that that's a real a challenge for a lot of places and why lean, lean efforts fails because they really didn't achieve the results that they wanted within six months. And so yeah, that yeah. doesn't work. He, um, I think that's the first time I've ever heard that phrase from a non-Toyota person or, mm. or, I mean, I guess I've heard it from people who've been influenced by Toyota and you see that lineage of Toyota to Shingejitsu to Larry, this phrase, go slow to go fast of, mm. um, you know, I think of a change management course I went through where they talked about, I think this comes back to, um, uh, John Cotter and his change model of like, you can force a lot of change really quickly, but it might be fake improvement mm. where it's not really we, we, how often people say, like, oh, we haven't sustained our yeah. change. We haven't sustained our improvement. Like, I don't know if it wow. was really ever deeply implemented. Right. Or right. It, or that we didn't have the management capabilities to really sustain and continuously improve. You know, I always think back to um, the story of Toyota's own leadership development program called Cotton Pro that I talk about in Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn. And they decided to, you know, Mr. Yoshino was part of the internal group um, creating this leadership development program. And his boss said, well, we can't have just one year 
uh, because one year is too too short because it's too easy to fake it. And three years is too long because, you know, it gets a little exhausting. But two years is enough time where you really have to be trying and changing and it'll probably sustain at that point. But, you know, most of our, you know, we're like, oh, three months, six months, um, that's fine. You should be self-sufficient, but mm-hmm. really, no. Well, and I mean, then- I think you asked Larry, um, he made a comment about, um, so like when you've been CEO of four years, mm. I'm trying to remember if this was in a side conversation or on stage, but, you know, uh, he said it in a public forum. So I think it's okay. Um you know, you've been CEO four years now. How long does this culture change take? Now, I, I do recall him on stage saying something about, well, you know, COVID slowed us down a little bit, mm, mm. dealing with all of that. Mm. But I remember him saying, well, like next year, like 2023, that should be the year where it really starts mm. to take root and click. Mm. And I'm, it'll be different levels across the system just because that's the nature of it. Um, he talked about, and this is connected to making behavior change stick is the power and importance of having a coach and how even um, as he is the CEO of this huge company and he has a coach, not just an executive coach, but a lean coach who has been with him for a long time, who helps him continue to practice and learn and be more effective in leading this way. Um, and I really appreciated him talking about how he has a coach and that we all need, we all need coaches, right? So, because we have our blind spots and he, he said, you know, it's a great outside perspective for, you know, him when they're not making enough progress. So what does he need to do as a leader to help enable that? Or if he's not really listening as effectively or seeing sides of things that he needs to do. So we, we all have these opportunities. So it was, it was great to hear about that. Yeah. I mean, I think it does set a good example and he 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 talked about that outside perspective or the trusted mm. sensei or advisor. You need some people who can tell you when you've screwed up. Mm. And again, if you're in a culture where bad news isn't flowing up the chain yeah. and you haven't yet created a culture, like sure, the ideal would be a culture of psychological safety where people aren't afraid to, to challenge the boss. And, you know, if you're still building that, mm in different ways, like having that, that outside perspective to keep you grounded, to keep you humble. He, he talked about that a lot, you know, leading with humility. Mm. And I'm going to just, this is my supposition here. Um, I mean, can you, or my question, like, can you imagine those words? I don't want to get sidetracked on the difference, but like, I can't imagine Jack Welch ever saying that phrase out loud unless he was mocking it maybe, right. That was just mm-hmm. not his style leading with humility. What? Well, they, you know, it's so interesting that they, you know, two different CEOs of the same company with pretty different leadership uh, approaches and perspectives as well. And it'll be really interesting to see how Larry and leading with Lean as his leadership style um, is going to be able to really make GE survive, thrive and like achieve all the big, big goals it needs to into the into the future. And, and what we've learned from the differences of those different leadership approaches yeah. too. I actually and, gave, yeah, sorry. Well, I was <laughs> Go going to say first, I mean, he is the first outsider ever hired as CEO, which puts you in a unique position mm. to help change the culture without being an inadvertent defender of the culture that you created. I think there are certain things only an outsider can help shake up in an organization. All right. And, and to 
to see things that become invisible when you have been habituated to them as the norm. And so that's one of a leader's roles. How do you make the invisible visible? And so he has an opportunity to help others see um, the impact of, of uh, you know, leadership styles or what's been happening in the past. And he also talked about in his talk and he in, in other podcasts that I listened to, how there are so many amazing people at GE. And that's why he's so excited to be there is, you know, it's now it's just helping them see a different system and structure to help enable their success for realizing the impact that the, and the, the potential that the company and the people have. So it's, you know, there's a lot of greatness there. And so it's basically how do you cultivate that and create the systems and structures that allow it to survive and thrive and allow people to contribute again, their ideas and their thinking. You know, he mentioned, I think it was on a different podcast, how he like, out of the woodwork came all of these great lean thinkers and practitioners who are like, I'm here, I'm here. And he's like, let's use you. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, one, one other thing I had in the notes here about culture, um, I think was interesting. And, um, and it's made me think of um, the other day, I had a chance to interview the CEO of the Hospital for Special Surgery in New York, um, Lou Shapiro. Hmm. And he, he was, it was very interesting. He would, I mean, you know, he would point to culture at his, you know, special, specialty hospital. And he, he brought up the phrase, you know, a lot of people like to say culture eats strategy for lunch. He says, mm. I don't believe that. He said, culture is strategy. Mm. Mm. And I think Larry touched on that a little bit differently. There was a story that had kind of a surprise ending. He, he talked about back in the Danaher days, because Danaher bought a lot of companies and would apply the Dana her business system model to it. And he said, there was one organization they were looking to buy and somebody there made a comment. This is the quote. Um, we no longer talk about bad news here because it's deemed bad for morale. Yeah. So part of me, and maybe I'm just thinking from a, I know I'm looking at it from a different lens of like run away. Like I wouldn't yeah. want to work there. His lens was oh. that's a company that we can turn around. Like if you have yes. good technology and you have other strengths, you can change culture. It might right. easier said than done, but you can do it. And I think especially, you know, in the Danaher days, if the leaders couldn't come around, Danaher could bring in talent from other businesses. Right. To turn it around. And and great. Well, if they haven't been making the problems visible, well, once we start making them, we have an opportunity to change and make everything even better. So I can see how it's like, okay, we can do something with this. You know, it's true. It's like, you can change culture. The, the new me experience, the joint venture between Toyota and GM is such an incredible example about that as well as like, if leaders change their behavior to bad news, to challenges, to providing that support, to really pull when the and on, going back to the and on, when the and on cord is pulled, showing that the frontline worker has a problem, the leader, the manager is coming to provide help wow, that really makes a big difference. And that was like a huge, powerful um, shift. And, you know, everyone, you can, <laughs> the NUMI uh, results are so well known. Uh, so same thing with with G. And I think that's where Larry sees all, you know, sounded like he's very excited because of the the people and the process and the, po the potential at GE. So I'm really excited to see what he's going to do. I gave him actually a Daruma, the slightly bigger than the one I've given you. Sorry, Mark, another time. Okay. I will I'll give you a bigger I one. Was in a, I was in an event where you had a lot of small Darumas that you gave away. I take no yeah. offense. It's all right. Yeah, yeah. So I gave Larry one this size, a little bit. It's smaller than some of my biggest ones, but 
you know, to, because he has some big business goals. And so um, hopefully the Daruma will be able to help him remember that it's okay to have setbacks and challenges, fall down seven times, get up eight, but keep going forward to the, to achieve the goal. And I'm really excited to see not only the outcomes of this organization, but also the process and the learnings that happen. And with all the transparency and, you know, they've had about their journey, um, I imagine we'll have opportunities to learn um, from, from and with them as well. Yeah. So to steal their joke from their podcast. And on that note, <laughs> do we have any, like before we wrap up here, like maybe this is just sort of grab bag of like, was there anything else in the notes that you think was noteworthy? One, one, one note that um, I had back to the idea of having a coach, mm. um, you know, Larry said that, you know, that his sensei is such a great example mm. and for other leaders. And then I thought this was key and, and this shows the humility. And Larry said, it helps him see how far he still has to go, mm. which I yes. think is a powerful thing to be willing to say in front of others. Yes. Yes. And I, I used to building on that. I asked him, cause we were talking about the concept of how he was talking with his, the leaders who report to him that it may feel awkward. And, and I said, well, how do you handle feeling awkward? And he's like, oh, he made a joke of, of course I don't feel awkward anymore, but you know, but he, he's willing to show that he, he, he does. And it's always a learning journey. And this is why you have a coach to help continue to challenge you to an even better you and provide that support. And that's where that learning zone is. And that's why we all need uh, coaches and leaders as coaches in our world uh, as well. So really shifting, shifting that as well. Uh, yeah. And I, I think for me, it was just really going back to Larry Culp was reinforcing the essence of what makes lean really successful. And it's about having clarity on the challenge or where you need to go, that direction. As I talk about how do you as a leader provide the support to enable your people to learn their way forward? And then how do you develop yourself as a leader too? And to have that humility to know it's okay not to have the answers and you always um, need to make some changes too. And I just remembered one thing, I was taking a note while you were talking and you mentioned the Dan and her business system. And I think it's really interesting that they shifted. They originally called it the Danaher production system. And so it was really focused on manufacturing and the processes, but they actually changed it to focus on this is the way we manage and lead. And that's how Larry's focusing on here. I work with some clients who are like trying to create their own production system, but in, mm -hmm. we're also talking about, yes, that's great for looking at how you're improving processes, but then what's your leadership system along with that to enable it? Because it, you can do all you want with a production system, but if you mm -hmm. don't have the management and leadership capabilities and system to support that, it, you'll you'll end up going back to just tools and projects. Yeah, and and I think when it comes to um, you know business improvement, production improvement, um, you know, Larry emphasized uh, the other thing I was going to pull out from my notes here is you know so what you won't read about maybe out in, the, out in the media is what's happening daily in the factories, right? This is, this mm. is not just about talking differently. Mm. And another quote I wrote down mm. or paraphrase was, you know, we need leaders who don't just mouth the words and don't just hire consultants. So it's about working differently, not just talking differently. And, you know, he, he said, we want to aim for better results and have, he used the phrase, true lean culture. And then he asked me, well, you know, how, how do you change the culture? You change the way you work. Yes. So I think, again, it's two sides of the same coin. 
Um, even, you know, I think back to models that go back to uh, dating myself, TQM days of, of learn, do, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 these are very intertwined, sort of like, you know, talking different, acting different, working differently, leading differently. It, it's it's all intertwined. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we focus so much on, oh, we need to create this culture. And again, culture is just the accumulation of the acceptable and standard norms of behavior and action. And it's not, we can't just change our mindset. If we change our actions first, then it helps shift the mindset. So it's actions, 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 not just talking it, but walking it. Um, and again, Larry's clearly a leader who who's doing that. So I'm um, super exciting. And it was such a thrill to be able to not only meet him in person, but have that chance to uh, be on stage and talk one-on-one with him. And of course, hear, uh, hear how he's leading and thrilled to hear what he had to say about learning to lead, leading to learn. Yeah. Yeah. I was happy for you. I'm happy for others who are going to be exposed um, to, to the book. And I think um, the, 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 the final thing I was, was going to share from the notes here, and again, this is kind of grab bag here, but there were so mm. many great nuggets. So, and so much goodness. A lot of great things being said. Um, one, we, we, going back to our discussion earlier about going to the Gemba and mm. seeing what's really happening. He, he said, you know, he realizes going to the Gemba might be an unrepresentative sample, but it's all I've got. Yes. And an incomplete picture is better than a PowerPoint deck. Like I want to yes, get. Yes, I love that's a that's a great quote, right? Going to see something is better just staying in your conference room and relying on synthesized secondhand uh, information. And you can't make all your decisions on that, but it gives you a pulse of where things are, yeah. of thing where things are really. Yeah. And then you know, the final thing I'll add here, bringing back to the idea of doing the work being lean and leading lean, not just implementing mm. lean. And, and he, he emphasized the difference there of implementing yes. lean versus being lean. And then, then he asked a question, how many companies want the Dana Her stock price multiple without mm. putting in the work? Mm. So that yes. was interesting. I don't know the answer to that, but there are some, you know, and uh, that's kind of a sour note to end on. Yeah, I think okay. the positive side of it is, again, like you, you can't just talk about this to your workers. You can't just talk about it to Wall Street. You got to do the work. And it seems like they're doing the work. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, this goes back to go slow to go fast. Know that you have to change as well and lead the way. And that's going to feel awkward at times. Have a coach who helps you and to, to know that it can't be delegated. I, you know, it was very clear that you have, you have to, has to be led from the top. And even if your company isn't there yet, you're, you know, the people, um, this is more now for our listeners here, like, you're growing into those senior leadership roles and you'll have opportunities. So how do you cultivate this type of leadership within your sphere of influence um, and this current role or this current company, but then, you know, it's going to change and there's going to be more, more ahas along the way. So we just have to keep, keep going and keep, uh, keep our eye on, as Amy said, the true North and keep Mm -hmm. learning our way forward. Well, that's a good note to end it on there. Yeah. So I, I'll remind everybody, you know, the, the show notes here for this episode are going to be um, pretty rich. There will be links to things, including Katie's book, Leading, Learning to oh. Lead, Leading to Learn. See, I knew yeah. I would get as soon as I got. All right. But, you know, it's a cycle. You have to lead to learn, right. learn to lead all of the same. Just keep going 
and around <laughs> in the chain I, of learning. I, I jinxed myself um, in, in, in again, stumbling over the title, my fault, uh, my mistake. But um, the the internal GE podcast episode that Amy mentioned, um, there's a oh. lot of great photos, like the photo of you giving the Daruma um, to Larry and, and him holding your book. We can put some of those photos in the uh, in the show notes and yeah, a great. link to the episode from My Favorite Mistake with Katie yeah. and Mr. Yoshino. Um, yeah. People want to follow up on that. Yes. And great. And I talked about in the same way that Larry had to start making a shift, asking more questions. My favorite mistake from back then was learning how to do the same. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you, Mark. It was so wonderful to hang out for four days in yeah. person and really, and to finally meet Amy as well and mm -hmm. to spend some time together. And um, I look forward to more time together in the coming year and also more conversations and reflections like this here together. Yeah. And I'm glad we could hang out for about an hour ish here, yeah. you know, hearing our retelling of uh, all the great stuff that was yep. shared, um, you know, hopefully provide some value. Uh, if people don't get a chance, I hope people do get a chance to hear some of this directly from Larry um, yes. and other venues in the future. Yep, ab absolutely. And I think this also speaks to how one of the challenges we often find is having time to reflect. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the best uh, way to reflect is to have a deadline and to have a, a reflect reflection buddy. So Mark, thank you for being my reflection buddy. <laughs> And for having this on the calendar, because this gave me the space and time, or I created the space and time to reflect <laughs> on it. Uh, and I enjoyed the the discussion as well. Yeah, You're, that's the way to put it. Creating the space and a little bit into how the sausage is made. Sometimes delaying the start of an episode 30 minutes gives you that time to yeah. do a quick run through of, yeah, of the no, it, it was great. Well, I'm sure there'll be more reflections and nuggets to have from um, from this, the AME Dallas event and also this, this discussion with Larry, um, Culp and more. And, um, I look forward to hearing what people think and hear and reflect on after hearing this, um, podcast discussion with you and me. Yeah. And if people want to connect with, with you, Katie, uh, the website is kbjanderson.com and I'll, I'll put that in the show notes as yep, well. Correct. And same as my Twitter handle and you can find me on LinkedIn in the same way, and my YouTube channel now has that handle too. So all is aligned. We'll see if Twitter is still working by the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, but for now, <laughs> for now. <laughs> um, Katie, thanks again. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. Well, thanks again to Katie for being our guest yet again here. I always enjoy it, and I'm sure she'll be back. You can find links and more in the show notes or go to leanblog.org slash 464. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.